decent, decent, decent. But you know you need to start rocking the denim vest and then you have to wear it every week when the Bills win the first time you wear it. You know, it can be a Seinfeld thing and a Joe Dirt thing. So you can be doing two at once. Sure. I would wear it, dude, with the big metal buttons. Snaps. They're snaps, dude. Call They're them snaps. snaps. Regular beats. What? Stop. Welcome to Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. I am Jamie G. Esquire the Fifth, a master of the strike. And I'm here with Magna Mills to talk about what we've watched recently and to talk about one of our favorite shows, Seinfeld. Tis the season, so we're going to do a little holiday classic here, The Strike from Season 9. Mills, I hope you know that this show isn't over until you pin me. I'm Magna Mills, and A, there's no way he's pinning me, and B, I'm the man who is obligated to mention that Jamie G has a well-known bowling fetish. Why do you think he keeps talking about pins and strikes? And just wait until we get to the airing of grievances. And we hope that you don't have a bone to pick with regular dudes watch stuff, because we're just here being dudes talking about stuff, mostly stuff we've watched. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. We're on social media at dudes watch stuff. Do not forget to get your holiday shopping in. It is almost here. And don't forget the flaps. Follow, like, and please subscribe. That's all we ask. It helps other people find our show, find our channel. So in the name of some good holiday cheer and whatnot, if you had fun, please give us a thumb. That's all we want to see under the tree. Well, before we go, uh, before we go out for bagels, let's talk about what we filled our holes with recently. Here's our latest edition of Holes in This House. Holes in This House. Mills, what have you been filling your holes with besides snow? Dude, how could you possibly know that I recently listened to 12 inches of snow for the first time in like 30 years? Do you have an informer or something? Informer. Yeah, it's all serious. That, that that was a real album by Snow, a white Jamaican Canadian dude, and uh, it was a big hit back in the nineties. So that was a thing. Uh, what's also a thing is season three of the show Slow Horses from Apple TV, uh, starring Gary Oldman. This is a good one based on the book series. I think they're doing at least four seasons, all based on the books. It's a good time. It's got that little spy stuff you like, but Gary Oldman playing on the surface like the sloppiest secret agent kind of dude you've ever seen but he's really smart it's a good one you should check it out i've watched all four episodes of the first part of season two of invincible i'm working my way through those books uh very good if you haven't seen season one only 10 episodes animated joint on amazon prime you should check it out and i've been randomly finally watching the handmaid's tale it's one of those things i know the final season is coming up i've been meaning to watch it forever good show i can see why everyone's like oh it's a good show but it is pretty depressing. It's a tough binge. You can really only do one or two at a time. The good news is there's not that many of them. It's tw it's 10 to 13 a season. There's been five seasons. So, you know, you got 50, 60 episodes, but definitely very good. John Elizabeth Moss, you know, obviously been killing it since Mad Men and whatnot. Yvonne Strahovski, again, great cast. Just, it's dark, dude, and uh, very relevant and very dark. Jamie G, what have you been filling your holes with besides uh, white Canadian Jamaican rappers informa man shout out good one right there yeah say say three more maybe a one more line from the song besides lick your boom boom down all right i'm back here um a couple things one i finally finished the uh latest season of of the witcher it started they released it four episodes and then took a break and then four episodes it started 
kind of slow, wasn't really a big fan. And then the last four episodes uh, that 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 came out were, were really good. So I really liked it. I like where it ended. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with the show heading into season four. But that was fun. Also checked out, uh, recently got to go to see Burt Crusheyer live. Really nice stand-up comedy. Uh, and then also checked out his movie, The Machine. If you haven't watched it, watch it. It's really funny. And it's a good, good, good movie based on a real story. Uh, so that was pretty fun too. So got a little, got a little humor, got a little seriousness, been filling the holes. Now we're obviously big Seinfeld fans, so everything is on the table here. There will possibly be spoilers from every episode of Seinfeld, as well as, as, well as anything else associated with the show, interviews, etc. If you don't know, well, now you know. This is The Strike, Season 9, Episode 10, the 166th overall episode of Seinfeld, originally aired December 8th, 1997. Directed by Andy Ackerman, he directed 87 episodes of Seinfeld, including all of the episodes in Season 9. Written by Dan O'Keefe, Alec Berg, and Jeff Shaper. Notable guest appearances include Jerry Stiller as Frank Costanza, Estelle Harris as Estelle Costanza, Brian Cranston as Tim Watley. Kevin McDonald as Denim Best, Daniel Von Bargen as Kruger, and Karen Feynman as Gwen. The short plot synopsis is, Jerry goes out with a woman who is beautiful one day and ugly the next. Kramer goes back to work at H&H Bagels. Brian George Branson as Tim Watley. Elaine gives a fake number to a man. Makes the, the gang sound like a lot of good people here, right? Uh, Kramer actually looks sounds like the best of the bunch. He's going back to work. George is making up charities. Elaine's giving out fake numbers. Interesting uh, tease. It definitely is. And before we dive in, I think we should just start with our overall thoughts on this episode titled The Strike. Obviously, this is a classic. But was it as good as you remembered, Mills? I would say, yeah, it's probably as good as I remember. It's really fun, but this is one of those when you got towards the end of the run where you got really kind of into that heightened reality and you had to kind of accept that this probably wouldn't happen to regular people. You know, you go to something like the parking garage, the Chinese restaurant, they were very relatable. Here you have the idea that the two-faced thing, I guess, could maybe be a little bit real. The fake number thing could definitely be real on some level, especially back in the day when that's the only way you could contact somebody. You couldn't just, oh, here, you know, bump contact info or here's my Facebook or my Instagram or whatever. It just seems that they took everything as far as they can go, and it gets kind of almost ludicrous and farcical, but in a good way. I am there for it, but I get why some people are like, dude, that's just a like a little bit much here. Uh, and even to the extent that I forgot that this was the Two-Face episode, because that's its own thing, really. I always have that in Festivus as their own things, and that's just how much there is going on here. So it's all very good, but there's a lot of it. This definitely feels like a Seinfeld episode that maybe couldn't have got a whole two-parter out of it. But man, I wish this was a streaming thing where they could have been like, yeah, give us another three minutes. Uh, you know, especially to see more festivist stuff. I really think th there's maybe a little bit of meat left on the bone here. How about yourself? Overall thoughts, the strike. Really similar. I mean, like you said, it's obviously a classic. I really like how each character, though, you know, has their own thing. And it's each one is almost could be a standalone of an entire episode. That's how good they are. Right. I mean, George with the with the Festivus and with the Human Fund, Jerry with the Two-Face, Elaine with the Atomic Subs and the fake number, Kramer with the bagels and the strike. They're all good enough to kind of stand on their own, but then they combined them into this one kind of super thing. And I just think that the writing was fantastic here to be able to blend them all together uh, as as the episode went on. And then, of course, 
you know, the pinnacle at the, at the table there at, at Festivus. So for me, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed kind of a lot of the stuff. Yes, it would have been nice. I do think this could have been a, a, a longer episode or even a two-parter, but for me, I thought it was just, just brilliant uh, in terms of all the different storylines going on with, with all of our four mains and each one could stand on its own. So when you combine all that for me, that's usually a winner. And this one certainly was. If you had to give one of these plot lines its own episode, which one would it be? Would it be the, the fake number, the charity, Kramer, Festivus, or the Two-Face? You have five real plots going on. Which one, if you could focus a whole episode on one of them, what would it be? I got to I gotta see the Festivus, just because I, to me, that's just so funny. And I like that you get the side characters with George's parents um so you know to me that that's that's kind of a big win i would rather have george's parents as the side characters rather than you know watley or kruger and don't get me wrong kruger's great um or jerry's girlfriend or you know the, the guy in the in the bagel shop so uh give, give me give me festivus that's the obvious answer i would say that i would have just have loved to got a whole episode of kind of kramer at work maybe we get some flashbacks to when he originally worked there and now just because we've never really seen him in that environment before or maybe you get some kind of thing like they had with the, the trial at the end where Elaine has to meet all of the different guys she's given the fake phone number to over the years. Yeah. I think there's a way you could have gone with either of those two that would have been interesting. It kind of different than your usual Seinfeld formula. You know, other shows will give, oh, it's a, you know, it's a J character episode or whatever. It's all just basically one character. Seinfeld never really did that. That was part of the, the thing with the ensemble. But I, I think there would be some interesting grounded tread there. But yeah traditional style just actual festivus itself i would have been cool if the entire episode was you know a double episode of just festivus for the rest of us yeah i'm there for it i mean we could have at least gotten you know five to seven minutes at the at the actual festivus event that would have been that would have been great well sometimes you can't do anything about it man you're your neighbor's house you're just chilling on his couch reading a vcr manual with a cordless phone in your pocket and you get the call and that's it. The strike's over and you got to go to work. And in this case, that means I have to go to work on the recap for the episode. We open the episode with Jerry, George, and Elaine at Tim Watley's Hanukkah party. Jerry meets a woman named Gwen while Elaine gives a fake number to a guy in a denim vest. I just wanted to stop right here. Just to ask you real quick, any experience with fake phone numbers? Did you ever used to give out a fake phone number or have you been on the other end of a fake phone number? Someone's given one to you. You know, I, I have not been on the other end of it. Um, I've given out fake phone numbers and fake email addresses. Uh, you know, a while ago, I was looking at going to a lot of open houses and stuff. And I was just like, man, I don't want every realtor in the world having my my number, especially if, you know, if I'm not serious about this particular house, I, I don't want to work with it, whatever. So I would leave, you know, I would I would leave a, a fake number and a, and a fake email. Uh, that's for sure. I will say I have been on the other end of it, but I'm certainly back when I was younger in ways I can't remember. But to this day, somebody is currently using my number, which I have had for 20 years. I've had this number for a long time. And sure. they've used it Longer at PetSmart because there's another name under my phone number at PetSmart. And then I will randomly now get taxes from like uh, usually from charities, political stuff or whatever. And so somebody is using my number to sign up for this stuff because they don't want to get it. Cause I don't want any of the, the nonsense that I'm getting. So whoever you are, stop doing that. I'd like to charitably say that it's an accident. I'm just one number off from you or something like that, but uh, it's been a while. And uh, if you steal my pet smart reward points, I will be mad and my dog will be mad. So don't do that. 
Brian Cranston this way. I'm just so not used to that. You know, you Malcolm or Breaking Bad or whatever. This is just a whole like he's unbuttoned with the chest hair out. He's chase he's chasing the uh the chesty lady around. It, it's I don't know, man. I think he's on fire here, even though it's real short as far as his appearance. He absolutely is. You forget about him. Um, and then you know, I love that he's <laughs> Elaine's line, and it's classic. It's like Studio 54 with a menorah in here, and she's so right, it really is. Um, and I love that they brought it back around too, because there was, you know, previous episode where Jerry was quite annoyed about Watley cracking the Jewish jokes because he converted to, uh, to Judaism. And so he thought he was entitled to make all the Jewish jokes and it really bothered Jerry. So, uh, I, I like that they, that they brought that back here. Nice little bit of continuity there. And he was being a little bit extra creepy with the mistletoe. Uh, yes. with the ladies and, and everything like that and good stuff though and you actually do see him in a later scene with the 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 one woman so i guess it went okay and when jerry goes to uh to pick up gwen or whatever i like the bit where he's just like oh i'm jerry and i can run fast and you know that's a thing we've seen before with the race and everything and he is obsessed with kind of being fast uh we saw that in uh was it the uh the marine biologist where he talks to uh Destikoff about how fast he can run away and that's why he wears sneakers and everything so uh, just a fun little bit, keeping that up there. And shout out Denim Vest, who I believe is wearing a denim vest over a long sleeve denim shirt with jeans. It was hard to see the jeans, but I think you can kind of see a little bit in uh, one shot. After the commercial break, we fast forward to Monks, where George joins Jerry for lunch. Jerry comments that everything went great with Gwen. They're going out again today. George opens his mail and gets a card from Tim Watney, who made a donation in his name as a gift. This infuriates George. Elaine shows up and brags that she's about to get a free sub because she's bought 23 so far. George gets a Festivus card from his father, and Jerry explains to Elaine that Frankenstanza started his own holiday. Elaine loves it, and it frustrates George enough that he heads to work, even though he called in sick. Are you? How are you with the rewards programs, man? I know people who are crazy for this. My parents are, are very big on the Marriott points. It's all about the points, 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 points. Is this something you're into? Are, are you kind of just there if it works out? Or do you really, you know, are you kind of obsessive about this? Remember when everyone was into couponing and stuff like that? I feel like people oh, yeah. are a little bit like that with the rewards programs. I like cash rewards. I, you know, I, I certainly know people who are very obsessive about their mileage rewards and their, you know, their things that they want to, to you know, because I think it makes people feel like they're they're winning the deal here on, on, on buying something as a consumer. I'm a fan of cash back and cash rewards. If I'm going to pay for something, it makes me feel good to get a little bit of uh, points back on it. Um, but, you know, you got to make sure that you pay your credit card off every month. So you're not actually letting them win with the interest. Um, just getting a deduction, a small, tiny paper thin deduction of how much interest you're paying. And that's my financial lesson of the day for you. What would be the modern day equivalent of opening your mail in a public cafe like George is doing? Would that be just listening to your voicemail and speakerphone? I'm trying to figure out what would be, you know, because everyone couldn't really read his mail, but you could kind of probably see what was going on if you really cared to to check it out or find it in the trash or whatever. What would be the modern equivalent of that? Is this guy's like writing scripts at Starbucks or something? What is it? Yeah, I think so. It's probably that. It's probably, a you know, uh, auto read of email or something or, or voicemail, something like that. that. That sounds about, that tracks. Or you print, you print your stuff in a public space and it, and it sits on the printer. That's pretty pretty uh pretty close too i mean is this like start are you bringing your own printer to starbucks or something that'd be pretty great if you had you have a table and you like literally set up your whole your entire setup printer included just want to point out 
George's rage at getting the, the donation gift. I mean, I kind of get it. You, you love the idea that, you know, George's like, I got a Yankee tickets and he got a piece of paper saying I've given your gift to somebody else. But I mean, that just feels like quintessential George. He can't take the high part yes. of it at all. And Jerry's just like, yeah, dude, don't give me anything this year. Yeah. The, the nice little exchange there and hilarious for George. Uh, obviously he's, you know, he thinks that this is just completely wrong and that's, you know, well, at least it's going to children. <laughs> he thinks that's so horrible and so wrong. I just gotta love, gotta love George, man. He's, he's hot throughout this whole episode. Love that he's still in good with the grounds crew over at uh, Yankee Stadium. And, uh, you yeah. know, dude, I would like to work for a company. I don't really care what it's called here. It's Kruger Industrial Smoothing. But if your motto is, we don't care and it shows, I am there. You probably don't care about your workers either, but. Uh... George lucks out into some jobs, man. He he really does. He lucks out into some pretty sweet gigs over the years. Yeah, we'll get into uh, Mr. Kruger here in a minute, but uh, he is especially on fire, I believe. After that, Jerry and Elaine go back to Jerry's apartment, where they find Kramer reading the manual to Jerry's VCR. Elaine can't find her card for the free sub, and she realizes that she wrote her fake number on it and gave it to Denim Vest. She decides to call her fake number and try to track him down. Kramer gets a call on his cordless phone and announces that it's over. He's going back to work. Apparently, he's been on strike for 12 years. It's been long enough that the minimum wage has risen high enough to meet the demands of the workers. Kramer heads back to work at H&H Bagels. What's the funnier part here? That Kramer thought he was on strike for 12 years for this little raise? Or that he was embarrassed to tell Jerry about it because he didn't want Jerry to think that he was out of work? Dude, it is. I, I don't know how to pick a bigger winner here. I mean, these are these are both just pure golden Kramerisms, really. I, I, I just, I don't know what's the bigger one, but it's both of them are epically hilarious <laughs> just, just the amount of times you've seen kramer going to jerry's apartment without knocking oh. just take something out of his fridge or his cabinet and just leave and just help himself and that he's no shame about that at all but he was embarrassed None. to bring up the strike thing oh dude he had to have jerry teach him how to shower at one point remember um i mean he's yeah, there's been a lot where there hasn't been a you know a lot of shame involved but you know it is embarrassing to be out of work you know i mean i get it but it's odd that that Kramer would that I'm that's the only thing I can ever think about him being embarrassed about ever. The dude has no he just doesn't have embarrassment in him. It's just not something he possesses. He wasn't embarrassed, but he was afraid of his addiction to the fried chicken joint. Um a little and the I mean I guess that you can say that with the betting too, when he gets yes. pulled uh, into the betting, all, all good things. And you're the, you know, economic guy a little bit here. Is Elaine's, you know, her obsession with getting this free sub because she's already bought all these subs. Is that a perfect example of the sunk cost fallacy? She's going to go through all this just because she went through all this with the previous subs. And she even comments they're bad. 23. Yes. Doesn't that seem like maybe 10? Uh, 24 seems a lot of subs you don't enjoy. It's a sub, too. We're not talking about a bowl of soup. You got to eat it. It's That's some work. Yeah. Yeah, 23 subs to get one free is a uh, colossal feat. I mean, I get why I'm just saying, it's, it's a shitty reward program. It's a shitty it, reward program. It's a terrible program. reward pro program. But she, this is all pride for her. All pride. She's earned that free sub. She's already lost money on this thing. It's not a financial thing. It, this is purely in her mind pride. She has to get that free sub. Because she went through the gates of hell eating 23 crappy subs 
to get this 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 free sub. You got to do it. You come that far. I mean, I can understand. I actually buy that. You go that far, dude. You want to see it to fruition. It's going to disappoint, but you at least are going to have to see it to fruition. You just have to. Yeah. How many pots of poker have you lost because of that mindset? That is the literal definition. Maybe, of the song maybe a few. I don't, maybe a few. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but what is cool is just the old school idea that Kramer's in Jerry's apartment and he has his cordless phone with him, which the base of it is in his apartment. If if you're young enough, you might not actually understand a cordless phone. It, it's like a cell phone, but it was tethered to your house, basically. You can only go a, a little bit from your house, but having him answer his own phone at Jerry's apartment while reading the VCR manual, that is just classic. The only thing I can think of that compared to that is the scene from Kingpin where Roy's friend pretends to rob the landlady and then wants to come back to his apartment to poop. I gotta take a dump. I don't have a paper. I got a crap. I need something to read. Here, use this shampoo. New and improved. I read this already. You, you got it. That's how you. That's how you wind up reading a VCR manual. You know, putting it back on Jerry when Jerry's like, "Are you reading the VCR manual?" And Kramer's like, "Well, we all can't be reading the classics, there, Professor Highbrow. Just classic Kramer here, dude. You just gotta love it. I, I you know, you would be annoyed. It would be horrible. But all of us kind of wish deep down inside we had a. We had a neighbor like Kramer, don't we? I mean, come on. Yeah, if you ever get bored or anything, which is, again, tougher to do nowadays with all the, the various options we have, way easier to get bored back in the day. And just shout out Atomic Subs. Just great name. I wonder how many alts they went for that, but I, I would, I kind of want an Atomic Sub. It just sounds interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and but, but we still don't know if with that free sub came the captain's hat or not. We don't know, but, you know, I'm wearing it for, for Elaine. You know, Laney? This one's for you. I don't like that. I know we've seen her in the Orioles hat. I, there's probably been a couple of other hats in the way. I don't know if we ever we got have. her in a captain's hat. Captain's hat, maybe with her smoking the cigar would be a good one. At H&H Bagels, Kramer discovers that he's the only worker to return after the strike. Most of those other guys got jobs like 10 years ago. Elaine goes to the location of her fake number, which is an off-track betting spot. The counter guys comment that they've been getting her calls for five years. They offer to tell her when Denim Vest Guy calls. They just need her real number. To avoid giving these guys her number, Elaine gives them the number for H&H Bagels because she had Kramer's card in her purse. While waiting for Gwen at a restaurant, Jerry buffs into Tim Watney in his date, also from the party. Gwen shows up, and Jerry barely seems to recognize her. And Tim Watney, like Michaela Maroney, is not impressed. Did you get this the first time you saw it? Like, I didn't quite get the... I, obviously, you, you understand the Two-Face thing pretty quickly after this, but I recognized pretty clearly it was the same actress, and I was like, okay, I, I didn't really get it. And it, apparently, at one point, they were actually going to cast two separate actresses who just looked a little bit alike. That way, it was just more dramatic when you would cut between them. I, I like that they didn't do that. I think that probably would have been a bit too jarring, but they really struggled to make this... Lady, you know, because she was a pretty good looking lady one way or the other. I don't know. That part of it didn't quite work for me. There were a couple shots where they, they it maybe worked with just the, the contrast between the two, but overall, it, I wish they, you know, nowadays it'd probably be digital or, or something, right? They'd find a way to do the two face thing a little better. Yeah. I mean, this is with no CGI, this is with no modern day technology. I mean, I, I think that it worked on the on the shots where her hair was just slightly different and the light was dim and also just the speed in which they showed her, you only got a split second, you know, on and off. So you didn't really get a chance to really like analyze it. I kind of got the gist of what they were doing early on for me. And then obviously it carried out through the episode, but I think when it worked, it was with, okay, let's change the lighting. 
make it darker. Let's just do something really quickly with her hair. We're going to show her for like 0.01 seconds and come back. And that's when it worked. The longer, more drawn out scenes where nothing changed with the lighting. It was just kind of like, eh, you know, is it that significant? You know, I think I think it, it took away a little bit from the the humor that they're trying to get out of this. Yeah, I think the first time was probably the worst because that was the longest we went between seeing her. Usually it'd be one and then they go to the good light, whether it's in the car and then they go into the tunnel or a month and they go to the other booth. Here you only had her at the party and then you got this scene at the at the restaurant where it was dark or what have you. So I just don't think it stuck out enough there. Elaine gets a lot of good stuff here. Just the way all these guys at the counter are kind of leering at her. And then she figures out what's going on and then decides not to give them the fake number, but then decide to drop a saw block on uh, the race or whatever. I like yeah. that. It showed a side of Elaine, like we see with her smoking the cigar. Like she's done some stuff. I would be curious about a little spinoff about Elaine, what she does when she's not with these guys. You know, we've gotten a little taste of that before, but I would have loved to see when Elaine got into, you know, obviously for horse racing for a while, or at least dated somebody who was really into it. Well, we also don't forget about how hardcore Elaine's father is, Mr. Bennis. Uh, he's he's a hardcore cat, and you, you got to think a little bit of that rubbed off on her. Yeah, I would say that. And just Kramer is so great. Everything with him and the guy at HH is awesome. Oh, but when he brings Kramer back, when Kramer's just, all right, cool, let's bagel, he takes off his jacket, balls it up, and sticks it in the front case where all the bagels they are selling just – that is the most Kramer thing I can think of. And then the owner just kind of just gives him like a, just a little bit of a glance. And it's in there for, he keeps doing that. Cause you see him taken out of there when he goes on strike later. So I guess no one stops him. He said, and he does it with such comfort and, and familiarity too. It's like, is that where he kept his jacket all these years? Uh, but I just, I just love, I just love like you go in there and you get the feeling that it's like, oh man, there was a big strike. This is a big deal. And the guy's completely forgotten about it. He's like, oh yeah. And then Kramer's looking for the rest of them. <laughs> I imagine they all just got jobs. It's just so funny that the loyalty. That right, like Kramer two weeks after. Hung the, out for 12 the... years. <laughs> I mean, was the bank a place that could have a job? Maybe you got full health insurance and a parking spot or something. I mean, per, perhaps at one point in time it was, but. Yeah, that, that entire bit worked great. And basically everything at the bagel spot is gold in the entire episode. Gold, okay. Jamie, gold. And it and it stays gold throughout the entire episode, honestly. Let's be real. It just shout out Elaine using her same fake number over because it was a no Elaine. And the extra <laughs> E is for... Uh, 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 so good. Back at Jerry's apartment, Jerry explains the situation with Gwen to George. And he says that she's a two-face. George then shows Jerry what he's giving everyone for the holidays, a donation to the Human Fund, a charity that he made up. Kramer comes in with day-old bagels, and George gets up to leave. Jerry wishes him a happy Festivus, and he begins explaining Festivus to Kramer. Elaine enters as George is leaving, and she also hits him with a happy Festivus. Kramer is very impressed that Frank created a holiday. He's so prolific. Elaine explains the denim vest situation to Kramer and tells him to take a message if anybody calls H&H looking for her. Um, let's just start with the brilliance of the human fund. And not only that, the, the, the slogan, money for people. <laughs> it's just, it's almost, it's so ridiculous. It almost works. It's right there with Hungry for Apples. I'll give it that. It's like the perfect George gift. And, you know, you, 
so believable that George would, would do something like this and it would make him so happy inside to do it. And, you know, we'll get to the scene a little bit later when he's on cloud nine at the office, <laughs> flinging him around and making it rain. I mean, he's just, he's, he's in all his joy. So I just, I love this for him. In classic George, he doesn't want to think too hard. What was it? The, the children's Alliance. So he's like, all right, what can I come up with? That's more general and more vague than the children's Alliance. The human fund, human fund, <laughs> money for people. That's, that's it. Just where do you land on donations as gifts in general? Where I think it's acceptable is when you know people have made it. You know, for example, I went to a wedding earlier this year, and they asked for donations for their wedding gift. That that's awesome, right? Wealthy couple don't really need money or anything, but they wanted to you know use it as an opportunity to raise money for some of their favorite charities. That's something really cool. But just to like generally, you know, get some, I, I, to me, I'd rather just give a bottle of wine. Um, but if people like it, you, know, you got to feel them out, right? Because I don't know how they'll, they'll take it. You know, it, I, I don't know. I guess I'm 50-50 on it, man. I think there's a time and a place. But I think you have to know your audience here too a little bit. Yeah, it totally depends. If that's something you've agreed on ahead of time, like we're all like instead of exchanging gifts, we'll each donate something in each other's name or whatever. And you yes. know well enough to do it because people might not necessarily want to be tied to something. I could see some people abusing that and trying to get people to donate you know, necessarily to things they might not believe in and what have you. And I do think it is cheap if a business does that because they're probably going to use this right off ultimately. And they are just working you. So it is basically instead of giving you a gift, we're using you as a tax write off. Yes. Human fun, though, very cool. That's a, a definitely a T-shirt I would rock. And how about Festivus? In general, it's, it was based on one of the writers. His father created a fake holiday like this, and it's become a real thing. Have you ever actually been to a Festivus party or, or know of someone who's thrown a Festivus party? I do know of people who have thrown the Festivus parties. I unfortunately did not have an attended one yet. I hope I get to. It's a bucket list thing. Got to have the poll. I uh, got to air the grievances. I definitely know about people having festivist parties. I just, unfortunately, your boy hasn't been to one yet. For years, one of my buddies had a, uh, his, his name was Frank, and he had a Frank Runes Christmas Eve, and it was always on the 23rd, which is Festivus Day. So looking back, I'm like, damn, dude, all we had to do was have a poll. We had Festivus, basically. We had we had all the other trimmings and whatnot, although are you allowed to have a Christmas tree at Festivus? I, I mean, it, it technically probably goes against the the spirit of it a little bit but you know it's easier to just take up an aluminum pole and take it down than it is to not put up a christmas tree or wait until uh december 24 you know to wait until christmas eve or what have you it just finally the day old donuts i thought was pretty great just the idea that first kramer comes in with donuts first time ever he showed up with something for everybody right basically and jerry Vegas. and George start going to him and kramer talks about having his dough in the, his hands in the dough all day and then they're like, ooh, I don't know if I want to eat these. And it's like, no, no, not that dough. Then they're in again. And he's like, no, those are day-olds. The homeless won't even touch them. And I maybe a nice little callback to the uh, the muffin bottoms, remember? When they just yes. had the muffin tops. They just, Elaine would try to donate the muffin bottoms, and even the homeless didn't want them. It felt like they were definitely doing a little callback there. My favorite part of that, though, is not just the the because you know, Kramer's doing a normal Kramer thing, going in, digging around in the fridge, finding stuff. Well, one of my favorite parts about that is – is when he's like the homeless won't even touch him, and then he get, when he gives the example when he's like, yeah, we try to fool him with putting some fresh ones on top, but they dig, they check. Classic gold Kramer right there. So funny, dude. Um, yeah, got gotta love that. Gotta love that. Yeah, everything is really on fire here. 
Back at H&H, Frank Costanza arrives because he was invited by Kramer to explain Festivus. Frank explains how Festivus came to be, and Kramer seems very, very intrigued. At Kruger, George hands out human fun presents to everybody, including Mr. Kruger. Back at H&H, Kramer has rekindled Frank's love for Festivus, and he vows to celebrate it once again. Frank leaves as Elaine enters. Kramer asks for the 23rd off so that he can celebrate Festivus. When he's denied that, Kramer goes back on strike. Elaine is now forced to wait at H&H for the call from Denim Vest by herself. Any thoughts on the introduction to Festivus? I can't really remember the first time I you know, watched this. It was a long time ago. It was legitimately back in the 90s. So I don't remember what I was expecting of Festivus, but this wasn't it. The whole story with the doll and the idea of, of course, George having the doll is hysterical in itself. But then you get the idea at the end. Maybe Frank was into the doll a little bit too. There's some weird undertones going on here, certainly. First of all, just shout out to Jerry Stiller. And uh, as Frank Costanza here, I mean, as I rain down blows upon his chest, <laughs> his storytelling is just at another level. And his explanation of how, how uh, Festivus was born, you know, it, it might not have been exactly how I remembered, but I really enjoyed it through his flashback storytelling because that, I think that was a secret, secret power of this show was with some of their side characters. And dude, Frank Costanza's up there in terms of all-time great side characters for Seinfeld. He's got to be pretty high on that list, and this is the reason why. Yeah, you don't stop short on Frank Costanza. I mean, he never stops short. Really. I mean, that's his move, so you can't steal his move from him. Everything there is great and just about perfect, right down to the fact that he just hates Christmas. He's like, I find tinsel distracting. To be honest with you, I do too. Not really a huge fan of the tinsel, especially if you own a, an animal that tinsel does not work out well but don't sell short the like everything with georgia kruger he's so happy for people he's getting wine and cigars and giving them the the human fun whatnot and then the exchange with kruger is just perfect what is this the human fun whatever exactly george is just so pleased with himself right this is almost the most pleased you ever see george with himself in the entire run of the show he is just so proud of himself for the human fund rightfully so dude i mean this is this is one of the best this is one of the all-time costanza things man i mean this is way up there for him in terms of what he's accomplished and you know it's hilarious to me as he's just flinging it around he's you know throughout the all, whole episode too he kind of they kind of make it a little bit of a run, runner here all the great gifts he gets for for the for the office christmas exchange and then to know he just gave a fake uh a fake uh fake donation it's just classic burger industrial smoothing sounds like fun based on the gifts everyone else was giving i will say that yes i would like to at yes. least attend their holiday christmas party the only thing we were missing was you know frank frank reynolds coming out of the couch dude that would that would have just put this to a to another sphere yeah i don't know if we could get there and just shout out when uh, at the very end of the h and h scene when kramer is leaving and elaine's staying and kramer just starts shouting scab at her yeah <laughs> He's, I tell you, dude, I think, I think Kramer had was Kramer possibly could have been an amazing picketer, striker, uh, union buster, whatever you want to call it. I think he was skilled at this thing. You could see him holding up some funny signs so that to say he's got his thermos, like he's prepared, man. Like it's not his first, it's not his first, uh, first rodeo here. That's funny. It's just 
now just in my brain, I'm like, if this was happening now, he would totally have a Yeti thermos or something. Yeah, the classic one back to. in the day. I was just picturing like the the yuppie thermos he would have now. Of course he would, because it would be uh and it would be Jerry's ultimately that he stole from. Yeah, Jerry. he took it from Jerry, of course. Of course he did. Jerry goes on a date with Gwen and he continues to experience the two-face phenomenon. The next day at Monks, he talks about it with George. Since she always looks good in the back booth there, George suggests just bringing her here. Jerry figures, why not? He'll give it a shot. Kramer and Frank walk in, and Frank has the Festivus pole with him. They invite George and Jerry to Festivus, but George runs out when Frank plays an audio tape of a previous Festivus. Gwen arrives, and Jerry introduces her to Frank and Kramer before quickly escorting her to the back booth. How many times would someone have to take you to the same place and sit in the same spot before you got weirded out? Three? Five? Ten? How much tolerance would you have? I think probably the second. I'll probably be like, oh. Uh... Say you're going to Steve's Prince of Steaks and there's only ten seats. There are scenarios where it can be There reasonable. are scenarios where, but for just a run-of-the-mill monk's coffee shop, like, yeah, in the same booth. That's it's not even going to the same place, the same spot. And it's in the back too, that makes you feel like you're hiding a little bit or something like that. Absolutely, it does. Great setup here for for when it delivers later on this episode with Kramer, for sure. And what was funnier, just Frank dragging that pole in or playing the audio cassette for George? It's gotta be the audio cassette, but the sound of the pole, pole the aluminum dra- pole dragging was just legendary but the audio cassette and the way it st- stopped and started and stopped and started just one of the funniest moments of the of the episode for me honestly it, just hilarious it's you obviously have you know nowadays again they would probably do a little bit of digital effects of this but you can tell it's just jason alexander trying to do a young george voice or whatever and it does pay off with he says almost the same thing at the very end of the episode so, yeah, it's tough to beat that. And shout out Frank with being ready. He had the receipts. You know, that's what you call that these days. Like, yeah, he he brought the receipts to the to the monks with him. The pole and the receipts. And it's part of George's heritage. And he knows it. And that's why he hates it. And that's why he hates it. One more gift George got, cufflinks. And since he doesn't own a French cuff shirt, he just went ahead and cut the button and took a pair of scissors. And yes, that's Open technically, through. but the, cuff, the French cuff actually folds over. But all right, we're not going to. We're not going to do a whole thing, but that's 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 really not a French cuff. But I love cufflinks. this though because he wanted so badly to show off his cufflinks, and instead of buying a shirt that would fit on, no, 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 uh, George Costanza made his own, and it it worked. It, that nice little runner here with them showing the uh, the gifts throughout. Too bad he's not the same size as Kramer. I bet you Kramer has thirty French cuff shirts he never wears for some reason, but none of them would fit George. Doesn't it seem like he does? Yeah, he just style, got him for, Bob Sacamano gave him to him one time or something like that. Either him or Lomez, one of the two. Yeah, well, that's how those guys roll. Speaking of Kramer, Kramer is striking in front of H&H while Elaine waits inside. The phone rings and Elaine answers. It's Kramer who warns her that she should get out of there because he sabotaged the bagel machine. Unfortunately for him, sabotaging the steam valve just makes it a bit steamy inside the restaurant. Back at Kruger, George gets a check from Mr. Kruger for $20,000 that he's supposed to donate to the human fund. Yeah, why not? He just had to pick something. All right, dude, how about letting off the steam? This did not work as well for Kramer as it did for John Matrix and Commando, did it? It did not. But, dude, here's what's hilarious, though. Because when he calls to Warner, 
you worry that it's, you know, like, oh my God, is it going to blow up? What's going to happen? But then when you see what it is, and then he comes and he bangs on the window. Even when he's on the phone, oh. you see him waving. The pay, it's the payphone that's right there that we saw in the establishing shot earlier, and he's just waving to a lane. <laughs> so right good, man. How you like your bagels now? I mean, just just absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I, just I, the whole I exchange. Like, can we still make bagels? Sure, it'll just be a little steamy, and but that sets up the idea of Elaine becoming the two-faced. And just the whole bit, she's still waiting there, and she's just desperate, and the owner's like, you want a sandwich? I'll just make you a sandwich. Dude, if someone offered you a free sandwich, you say yes. She wants the sandwich she earned, man. But you can eat that sandwich later. You can still eat I the agree. free sandwich now. You never turn down a free sandwich. I mean, there's basically no such thing as a free lunch. It's like if someone asks you a God, you say yes. If someone asks you if you want a free sandwich, you say yes. Worst case scenario, you give it to someone else, they'll eat it. And just one little Kruger bit after he gives George check it's in the hallway or whatever and he tries to go back to his office and he locked himself out not for the first time so he just goes home you think i feel like him and george are soulmates a little bit because that's exactly what george would do i think yes if you fast forward 20 years george will like find himself in a leadership position like that and that's going to be george you know like george will get so burned down on life just not care anymore and that's that's going to be george you know He's not George of the Jungle, but he's as strong as he can be. But sometimes he just forgets to watch out for that tree. Georgie boy. Next, Gwen is sick of eating at Monk's with Jerry's, and she leaves when George arrives. George shows Jerry the check from Kruger and vows to start his own charity. Kramer is once again striking in front of H&H when Elaine comes out. Dad and Bess finally called, and she's about to get her atomic subcard back. Unfortunately, she's not looking her best due to all the steam. Elaine leaves and Gwen shows up, but Kramer doesn't recognize her. He tells her that she's way better looking than Jerry's current girlfriend and a foot taller. Gwen thinks that's why Jerry keeps bringing her to the back booth of the coffee shop. And same kind of thing I mentioned here earlier. Do they do a good enough job with Elaine to make you feel like Denim Guy would actually be like, no, I'm not in here? Because I thought Elaine looked pretty good still. <laughs> I mean, her basically her hair was wet. They try. I think they probably should have did a little bit more with the running makeup. That I think that could have maybe got it there because basically it was just wet hair. You know, she was and, doing and like a late nineties. That was the look. Like two years from two years later, yes. that was the look. Right. So what? Looking back at it, I'm like, so what? That's a little. She's doing a little golf thing or something, or a little emo. The only thing I think of is maybe she smelled. Maybe you know we, we probably need the hair. I think was the, probably what they were really going for. Like you said, maybe the mascara running and everything would have helped a little bit. Well, yeah, they missed on the they missed on the makeup running. That's that's where that's the one swing and a miss that they had in this in this thing was that would have made her look more scary. They could have literally made her look like the girl from the ring or something. You know, I mean, they could have maybe not that extreme, but you know what I mean. Yeah, maybe ever eaten onion bagels or something, so then she had some bad breath or something going on too. Maybe add a little something onto it. To... Well, and dude, for anybody who's ever been in a steam room, you sweat. So I mean, you know, she's sweating, uh, probably smelling like I don't know yeast and bagels and onion, and you know, so she probably didn't smell good. So yeah, I guess there's a universe where I could get there, but denim guy is not in a position to be putting putting down any version of a, of Elaine steam room Elaine or not. Just a little bit that's great is the way that Jerry and George both let it just roll over them when there's a rubber band in the soup. Uh, oh, I guess Paco, Paco's cooking. It. Paco's <laughs> working. The way George, the way George flings it, <laughs> Paco, and just obviously flings. not their first rodeo. 
Well, and it's a great setup too, because the girl, you know, because Gwen's like, there's a rubber band in my suit, which to any rational human would extremely disgust you. And you would, you know, and it, I find it so funny because George would look at that as an opportunity to like get free soup for life or something. Uh, but in this case, he just accepts it and laughs and knows that Paco's working. Just, just very funny bit of writing here for me. Well, and especially for Gwen, right? Because she's in her head has to be, this is the restaurant he has to bring me to every day. The rubber band in the soup place. Yeah. It definitely makes it feel even more like he's hiding something or what have you. So that works out well from that aspect. And I would say when George basically says what he would do with his charity, that's about the most honest we've ever heard George Costanza in the history of the show where, you know, he would have all this money and people would love him and they come and they beg to him and he would help them out if he liked them. And then they would owe him big time. Is that not all George ever wants? Wouldn't he feel like he's, made it in life if that was his situation like where he could just if that was his reality that's got to be the highest dream george costanza has ever had right i mean it's got to be just that i don't think he can even dream higher than that Maybe i don't think making he could. trades with the yankees when he was like one step below uh, being involved with trades that's about it that's about it Oh, maybe George is in charge of the Yankees now. I'm, I'm, I'm not even a hundred percent sure. Well, he's probably working for the Mets. <laughs> he, he probably is, but yeah, the, you know, what else are you gonna do? You can just otherwise be outside, be like, no bagel, no bagel, no bagel, no bagel, no bagel. If you want to, you know, it feels like a baseball chant right there. Elaine meets up with Denim Jacket, who doesn't recognize her due to the effect of the steam. He says that he has the card back in his place, but he can't take her there now. Instead, he gives her his phone number and takes off. Elaine quickly realizes that he copied the number off of a nearby truck. Back at Kruger, Mr. Kruger tells George that the accounting department says that the human fund doesn't exist. George gives the check back, but Mr. Kruger is pissed about the fake Christmas presents. George tells him that he did all of this because he wanted to avoid persecution because he celebrates an alternate holiday, Festivus. Mr. Kruger is skeptical. So George offers some proof, and Kruger thinks that he's probably going to need to see that. But dude, all things considered, Kruger kind of rolls with the punches here, right? He gave 20K. I mean, I know he gave 20K almost on a lark, but man, he, he takes this well. He does, but this this scene here is we'll talk about it a little bit more because this may or may not be uh in one of our in one of our awards, but I, I just love his response to George and the fact that he he now all of a sudden he's so we haven't seen him be interested in a whole lot of anything. And all of a sudden he's interested in whatever Festivus is and whatever Costanza comes from. And you can't blame him. Is would that not pique your interest as well? It honestly felt like Kruger just didn't have anything else to do. Nothing better to do. He locked, like... he locked himself out of his office again. So I wish maybe we had a little more background in him. And I think that's probably because he was just supposed to be a one-off back in, like, the Slicer, and then they decided to keep him around, so we wound up showing him up in, like, four episodes, so they didn't have a lot for him. But you get the idea, maybe his dad is, like, the real Mr. Kruger who owns the joint, so he's just coasting or something, so he really doesn't care. That probably yeah. makes the most sense, and maybe makes it just a little bit funnier here, or even, like, yeah, you probably should, just because he's going to have to explain it to his dad, or, or something like that, and uh, both of them kill, especially in this old scene when Jason Alexander's trying to figure out how he's going to do it. He just he does like the head scratch. It's just you could just see the wheels turning in George's head. It's just just phenomenal acting, even though you know they've been doing this for so long. It's so good still. Yeah, 
Oh man, it, it, it hits every time. And uh, I, I just love that he got caught in this lie too. It's just so, again, such a great plot line of this episode where there's four or five real killer things going on here. This is a great one. And the fact that it, that he gets caught in it makes it, makes it even better in my opinion. Oh yeah. That, that's that, you know, it's a perfect setup for what comes next. And that's George arriving at his parents' house with Mr. Kruger in tow right behind them. Jerry and Elaine arrive. And not long after that, Kramer arrives with the guys from the off track betting place who called H and H after Elaine gave them the fake number. Everybody sits down to dinner and the airing of grievances begins. Shortly after that, Gwen bursts in and mistakenly identifies Elaine as Jerry's ugly girlfriend, again, because of the steam thing. Gwen leaves, and she's followed by Kramer. He caved on the strike because he really had to use the bathroom. This leaves George to perform the feats of strength. Festivus won't end until George pins Frank. And Jamie G, stop crying and fight your father. This is just unbelievable. I could have just had this be the entire episode, honestly. Just a dinner at George's house with company, George's parents' house, rather, with company, could be an episode in and of itself. You make it Festivus, where where Frank is in control and leading this thing. Yeah, dude, I'm all in for this. Hilarious. One of my favorite parts, though, is that all storylines seem to come together here um, with the guys from the off-track betting and, you know, Kruger and... And Gwen and just everything kind of blending together at this precipice, this this boiling point, the Festivus at you know Frank Costanza's house. I love this. I think this is the pinnacle of the episode. And even just the little small thing where Kruger calls Kramer Dr. Van Ostrand, that's from yeah. the, the previous episode where the Kramer slicer. pretended to yeah. be the doctor and examined him and everything. Again, yeah. Kruger just kind of rolls with the punches when his doc, the doctor dude, just like, yeah, I have to go back to work at the bagel joint. Nah, Kruger just rolls with the whole thing, even when taking the abuse in the airing of grievances when Frank is yelling at him about, you know, George's, yeah, George has problems, but Kruger, you got to stop, you know, riding him so hard and everything like that. That was all just phenomenal. So, yeah, everything with Kruger, everything at dinner is great. Do you wish that we got to see any of the uh, defeats of strength? Yes. It, well, and I wish there was more of the Aaron's airing of grievances too. We only really, we only really got the attack on George. You're telling me Frank doesn't want to air his grievances with George's mom, with with Elaine. I mean, come on. I mean, he, you know he's got some grievances here with the Seinfelds. You know, with with Jerry's parents. They absolutely have some grievances there. They might just pack up and move to Florida just to spite them. And, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've gotten that before. I think they have. So, uh, you know, so I, I'd love to get more of that. But, yeah, the uh, the feat of strength would have been incredible to see. And just lots of little touches here that are great. Throughout the episode, uh, Frank always calls Kruger by the wrong name. Yeah. Oh, Kroger dude. a couple times, I believe, which is a, a well-known grocery store chain in parts of the country. That's great. Well, well Kruger. Just straight up cougar, which was hilarious to me. That was one of my things on my notes was just so funny to me that he just, well, cougar's going to see the pole. I mean, just unbelievable, dude. I, I love that part. And also the little bit where Jerry tries to follow Gwen out and then comes right back in. He's like, ooh, bad lighting on the porch. It just At the end of the day, you know, they all try to point out how superficial they are and everything, but that is that encapsulates just exactly how Jerry Seinfeld treats basically every woman he's in a relationship with on this show. Yeah, we laugh about it, but Jerry is uh, 
Jerry's not the best. Put it that way. He's like Myrtle Beach. God, is Myrtle Beach not the best? Pull a stunt like this again, you'll never make it back to Myrtle Beach. I probably wasn't going to anyway. Turns out it's actually not the best. Well, we've talked about this being a classic episode of Seinfeld, and it even appears on some top 10 lists that are out there. Over on IMDb, the strike is rated 8.7 out of 10, tying it for the 22nd highest rated episode of Seinfeld overall. Pretty rare air there. Puts it roughly in the top 12% of Seinfeld episodes. What do you think, man? Too high, too low, just about right? Where are you at with it? I hate to kind of do this, but I think it is right there in the Goldilocks zone. I don't think it could really be much lower than the top 15%. Maybe right in the edge, sneaking just in the top 10%. So that would put it in the top 18 or something like that. Is You're right in, in that borderline. So I think, yeah, top 12% is probably just about right. How about you? I'm going to agree here. When I looked at this, I said, okay, there's nine seasons. There's a lot. They did, what, 22 episodes a season roughly. But for me, I say this is a, t- a top 25 episode ever. So, you know, they have it at the 22nd. Same thing. It could, its ceiling is maybe, you know, top 10, 9%. Its, its floor is maybe top 15%. So I think this is kind of right in the sweet spot, you know, give or take a, a, an inch or two here. But yeah, man, this is this is a really, really great episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, it depends if you're measuring from the top or the base, but I think that's probably why it's stuck on most of the top 10 episodes it did in that 7, 8, 9, 10 range. I never really saw it creep up into the top five. So very good, but, you know, maybe, again, maybe a little bit of meat on the bone as we discussed earlier. Yeah, well, that's what's scary about it is as good as it was, it probably could have even have been better, um, which which really blows your mind. When we cover TV episodes, we enjoy coming up with alternative titles for the episodes we cover. The Strike, it's pretty classic. It it works. But I think there's some other options here, right, Mills? I mean, I definitely got a few. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, right off the top, just because I forgot about it, the Two-Face. Couldn't go wrong with that. Uh, Give me one. I really like the, the fake number. Um, I could picture I could picture the fake number being a thing here. It, again, it's almost like pick your poison. Which storyline do you want to do you want to go from? I also I also like the Human Fund. I just thought that that would be you know if it, if the name of the episode was the Human Fund, that would have been very funny, very intriguing, and I think it would have worked as well. Yeah, I like that. Uh, how about the Atomic Subcard? Oh you yeah, go with the free sub, but I think the Atomic Subcard is better. It just sounds cool, and one that really doesn't come back around but which could have is the kick-ass philanthropist yeah that's what george would have been right he would have been the kick-ass he would have been a kick-ass philanthropist i'm a full-on rapist you know i'm sorry did you say you're a full-on rapist no 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 i help i help people you know what i mean i'm i'm a a full a full a full in philanthropist yeah that's exactly what it is it gets blocked up in my mouth i don't say it no good I'll give you one or two more here. Uh, an airing of grievances, I think, would have worked well. But then my personal favorite, my personal favorite, the bubblegum bagel. Just that last scene where Kramer's back at work and he drops his bubblegum that he's chewing into the dough and it just it just gets blended in. It's like, did he just create a new flavor? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, the bubblegum, the bubblegum bagel. I think that's pretty good. It's hard because they use the the, it, you know, you can't really do like the Festivus. I don't think really works. So you could do Festivus for the rest of us. And they always do the the. It's kind of like, you know, stick into their format. And yep. I, I don't think Dead and Vest was good enough. So maybe just go with the uh, the feats of strength. Because that would certainly get me interested. Just to be like, what oh, the feats of strength? 
It absolutely would have. Those are some good ones. Go ahead and let us know what you would do for an alternate title of this classic Seinfeld episode. Hit us up in the comments below. Drop us a note. Get in touch with us. Slide into our DMs, baby. We'll slide back. That brings us to the six degrees of Lebowski. This is where we connect a, a featured review, uh, whatever we're reviewing, to the Big Lebowski in six degrees or less. Mills, the mathematician, he will get there. I have a feeling. But can you get there in six degrees or less with one of our guest stories? Well, to uh, quote the Quad City DJs, I think I can. I think I can. I did. Too easy. Uh, our boy here, Daniel Von Bargen, who played Kruger in The Strike, also played Sheriff Cooley in Oh Brother, We're Out, though, where John Goodman played Big Dan Teak. And, of course, John Goodman is Walter in The Big Lebowski. Try harder next time. Wow, man. It always comes back to The Big Lebowski. I'll tell you one thing. It's like the rug in the room, dude. Ties it all together. The dude abides. It really does. Now we're each going to give our funniest moment of the strike. Mills, what, what cracked you up and made you literally LOL the most during this episode? I think I just have to go with the whole bit from Kramer getting the call about the strike being over until he walks out of the apartment. Uh, everything there is basically gold. It's too long to use as my quote. So every bit about that was funny. Everyone gets a couple of good lines in there. So uh, give me Kramer officially you know, going back to work. How about yourself? Love it. That's way up there. In the, in the spirit of doing something different, because there's a bunch of good ones to choose from. I'm going to go with just the whole scene in Kruger's office where George gets caught red-handed, given the fake Christmas gift for the human fun card. And I love how he gets there at the end and, and blames Festivus. And one of my favorite lines is, drove my family right out of Bayside. Just a hilarious thing. And for people who aren't familiar with, with Brooklyn or New York City, maybe it's not as funny, but that was just a really, really, really funny thing for me. That whole scene just had me dying, dude, because it's just classic George. George was on top of the world, right? Giving out this fake gift, getting all these great gifts in return. And then and then he ends up getting called on it and it just works out huge. And he, and he blames his family, blames Festivus, which may be true uh, to a certain degree. So, you know, there's always a little bit of truth in every lie. Wow, I always thought that was a Saved by the Bell reference and they were doing a little bit of NBC corporate synergy. What, dro drove my family out of Bayside? That's where they went and Saved by the Bell, right? Bayside? D different Bayside, but yes. Yes, they did. Crush now. Maybe that's where the bubblegum bagels went. It might have been. That seems, like a, that seems like a 90210 thing, doesn't it? Saved by the Bell thing. Got the new bubblegum bagel. <laughs> that brings us to our favorite quote from The Strike. I'll go first here, Mills. Bunch of good ones here, but I, I gotta go with I gotta go with, with Kramer being like your demands. Yeah, five thirty-five an hour, and that's what they're paying now. I believe that's the new minimum wage. And now you know who to thank for that. I mean, he waited twelve years of inflation to get, to get what he asked for twelve years ago. It's just so funny on so many different levels, and yeah, I got I got I, I gotta give that. My, uh, my quote. I'll do something I almost never do and go with the absolute final exchange of the episode. This takes place over the beginning of the credits, and it's after everybody leaves. Obviously, it's feats of strength time, and you hear George talking to his parents, and his mom's like, I think you could take him, Georgie. And George's pleading with his father, come on, be sensible. And Frank Costanza says, stop crying and fight your father. I think you can take him, 
Georgie. Hey, come on. Be sensible. Stop crying and fight your father. <laughs> Ow! Ow, I do! This is I the best festival ever! Frank telling George to stop crying and fight your father. Just, we know why George is the way he is. Yes. One of George's parents give you a, a, a good reason regularly why George is who he is. But that is yeah, Elaine it. even it, comments it, on that when uh, she talks, you know, hears about Frank inventing a, a holiday. She's like, oh, yep. And another uh, puzzle piece, piece falls in puzzle. place or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Another piece of the puzzle there. All right, my man. Yada, yada, yada. We each need to give our episode MVP for the strike. It can be any character in the episode, whoever you want. Doesn't even have to be the, the big four. Uh, but no, I, I will not allow you picking the aluminum pole. That's not the MVP we're looking for. It's not in the spirit of what we want to do. But you can honorable mention the aluminum pole. I'll allow that. Are you trying to Chris Rock me here and telling me my only goal is to keep me off the pole? That's that's fine. Yes. That is what it is. Honestly, I think it, this is... Mel's one last thing. Cornbread. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I got it from Michael Jackson and them. Um Anyways, I think this is probably about a three-way race here. You got Kramer, you got George, and you have Frank. Frank probably doesn't get enough screen time, but he threatens to steal it. And George kind of gets some scenes stolen by Kruger, who is low-key, kind of my my like low-key MVP. Uh, I've got to give it to Kramer, though, because he's all over all of the plot lines. He's the one who brings them together, basically. He inspires Frank to bring Festivus back. So I got to go with Kramer. It feels like eating the chalk a little bit, but, you know, it, it's Kramer, dude. What are you going to do? How about yourself? MVP. He's the Kramer. He's, I mean, yeah. It's, it's Kramer, Kramer, but in the spirit of going somewhere else, I'll give it to George. He's worthy, too. Uh, George crushes this episode, dude. He's hot and he's on fire. Virtually every scene he's in, he kills. And a lot of it revolves around him as well. And he finds him. he finds his way into kind of, you know, wrapping around the whole universe here with with the human fund and he's involved in the two-faced bit with with jerry and he's in on you know and everybody's in on his festivist thing and so i, I gotta go with my boy george he, he crushes man this is another great george episode like i said he was right up there with me but just shout out frank and kruger both absolutely yes. slay here yes and don't and don't forget about uh you know don't forget about our boy brian cranston too he he yeah, you know that was he, one minor complaint. I always Wally, thought Watney was going to come back around somehow. That they teased you know, him so much at the early part of the episode. That's one of my minor complaints. I a little quibble. I, I really thought that we were going to get Watney to come back to Festivus at the end somehow. I thought it was going to really come all the way around. Yeah, I love that he's like I'm pulling a Watley. You know, it's just like that's that's George's way of getting even. You know, for getting screwed out of that Christmas gift, he's going to screw everybody else. Just classic. So you think you're sponge-worthy? Yes, I think I'm sponge-worthy. I think I'm very sponge-worthy. You know you're nuts with these sponges. Run down your case for me again. She said I wasn't sponge-worthy. Wouldn't waste a sponge on me. Well, we literally stole sponge-worthiness from Seinfeld, so it's only fitting that we see if we can spare some sponges for the strike. Mills, I think I know what you're going to do here, but go ahead and tell everybody what you're going to do. It's probably no surprise, so let me try to make it interesting. I'll paraphrase Sublime. Uh, I'll use two sponges in the morning. I'll use two sponges at night. I'll use two sponges in the afternoon because it makes me feel all right. So, yeah, I think I'm sparing a goddamn sponge for the strike. How about yourself? I'm assuming. I mean, two in peace and two in war. Two yeah, sponges two before sponges, you use two sponges. Use two sponges and that'll and use, two, use more. two more. Yeah, shout out Sublime uh, and shout out 
the strike. It's absolutely sponge worthiness. I'm going to spare, spare the sponge for that one. With sponges settled here, it's time for us to give a grade to the strike. Mills, on a scale of one to 10 Festivus polls, how many are you giving to this episode? Is it truly a Festivus for all 10 of us or nine of us or how many of us? Enough of us, I think. I will say 9.2 polls. Uh, you are keeping most of the, uh, you know, the ladies of the exotic arts employed or whatever, or just the uh, the flagpole makers. I don't know who. Is the Luna pole just a flagpole? Is it a stripper pole without gold paint? I don't know. That's not for us to decide. We're just here to decide the grade. So 9.2 Festivus polls from me to the strike. Jamie G, show me what you like. Dude, I, I literally had 9.2 written on my paper. So I'm going to go ahead and say 9.3 Festivus polls. I've got to one-up the boy Magnum Mills. We'll go 9.3 Festivus polls here. It's a great episode. Um, you know, the complaints are really the, that you just want more. You know, there's it's hard for me to nitpick this one. I think it's a phenomenal episode. You, you know, people forget just how great this show was when it decided to go off air. This is the last season, season nine. And it's was almost operating at an all-time high when it decides to go off. And it's because of episodes like this. This is just a, a fantastic episode and a really great season, which is season nine. Yeah, I mean, if we would have waited until season 10, then the dragons would have finally showed up and everything. But, you know, I guess we'll have to live with this. There, there was an interview with Jerry Seinfeld where someone was like, I heard that they offered you $130 million, which what, what year was this, Mills? 96? That's late 90 money. So you could basically double it easily you know it, it, it mid to late 90s money here and he's like and he was like he's like wait how much did they say and he's like 140 130 million he's like oh i could have gotten more than that without a beat jerry was like i could have gotten more than that and you just you got to respect that i mean they almost bury sanders here in a little bit right except they won you know championship after championship um you know in terms of going out at their peak it's just a remarkable thing anything else you want to say about the strike particularly before we before we head out of here yeah, just commenting on your last point, I feel like NBC offered Ted Danson 20 mil an episode for to do another season of Cheers. So that would have been a shit ton back then, 22 episodes. So you were already in the, the 40 million. Like, yeah. So uh, I'm pretty like I'm pretty sure uh Jerry could have gotten a chunk of change here. In one reason that this episode sticks out a little bit, and it's really unfortunate, it's it, the first time it aired, its original air date was the uh, the night that Chris Farley died. Really random, but that's out of one reason. I you know, I back in the day I used to watch the Seinfeld live, and I can kind of remember like flipping over to MTV or whatever, and or something, and it's like, dude, Chris Farley's died. Like, damn, dude. So sad. We missed so much of what Chris Farley could have given us. This isn't a Chris Farley appreciation podcast, although we do appreciate Chris Farley, and we uh, uh, wish we got more of him. But this is a Seinfeld specific episode. So for me, I just want to say I really enjoyed it. It was fun going back and rewatching this and bringing it to life again and talking about it right here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Just being a couple of regular dudes watching stuff and breaking it down right here. Let us know what you think of the strike. And if you got anything else you want us to do, hit us up. We greatly appreciate you checking out Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Uh, any additional thoughts, let us know in the comments. Hit us up on our social media. And we all, from our families to yours, hope you have a great Festivus just like the rest of us. Happy holidays, y'all.
very well said. I'll just remind you that you can find regular Dudes Watch Stuff wherever your podcast and on YouTube and on social media at Dudes Watch Stuff. Again, do not forget to get that holiday shopping done early. You do not want to be late. And don't make those Amazon drivers have to kill themselves when you order stuff on the 23rd. Like Arnold said, do it. Do it now. Don't forget the flaps while you're at it. Follow, like, and please subscribe. It's all we ask of so other people find our channel, find our show. It's all we want for Festivus. So if you can do that, help us out a little bit. Just give us that thumb. We hope you had fun. I'm Meg Mills. He's Jamie G. And uh, we're going to be back next time to cover something. I'm not quite sure yet. Depends if we can get the, the soup deucer in the house. But we're just teasing this time. Usually you know what we're doing next. This time you don't. It's going to be a fun one. Thanks again for checking out Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. If you're a regular dude or just a regular person or you're just a regular something, join us as we check out something on an episode someday in the future. We'll see you then.